Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Kevin Dominique Corta, who is the president of Univention North America. Univention is an open source Linux based software appliance for identity, IT infrastructure, and service management. That's a lot. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about Kevin to Kevin about things like you know, strengthening engagement with IT, some of the hidden costs related to logging in, and three important actions every IT department should take in 2023. But before we do that, let's say hi to Kevin. Kevin, how are you today? Fine. Thanks for having me, Mark. My pleasure. Hey, and I, I kind of wish that uh, we did video just so that we could get your tie. What, what is, I mean, for people who can't see it, what, what is on your tie? <laughs> it's one of the first computers I had. So it's imagine with floppy disks and an old CRG monitor. Plus it has cheese on top and the computer mouse is actually a mouse. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, yeah, back OG kind of computing style. That's pretty cool, man. Pretty pretty impressive. I, I kind of almost wish I had video just just so we could get your tie in there. Um, I looked on your LinkedIn profile, and it looks like that you're in the, based in the Seattle area. That's correct. Right well, outside uh, Seattle. All right, Where, whereabouts outside Seattle? Up, it's halfway between Redmond and Duval, so already yeah. back country. Okay, got you. Well, I, I live in Bellevue, and um, believe it or not, even where I live in Bellevue, we get the occasional, um, you know, bear breaking into uh, garbage cans and so on and so forth. But uh, so it's it's one of the kind of the, the nice things about living in this part of the world where you're just literally steps away from nature. Um, I, I was born and raised here, and, and, and one thing I can tell is uh, you got an accent, man. You're not from around here. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Germany. I came from Germany. over here with company and have been with it. Awesome. How long have you been in this in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest here? Ten years. Ten year. years. Are you have you grown accustomed to our dark, wet, gloomy uh, winters? I can tell you, it's the same in Germany, at least in the northern part where I'm from. Ah, so not well, much change there. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so, did you come over with Univention then? Yes. Yeah. So, so well, ten years older than us here in the U.S. I got you. So, so why don't you um, tell us? Because I kind of give a brief description of of Univention, but why don't you, you know, put it into your words? What are, what is Univention doing here in the uh, in the U.S.? We are selling identity management systems. So, for anyone who's not in IT, it's the technology behind you logging in in the morning into your computer, using your email, using your scheduling software for the podcast, and making sure that all these logins are the same and that the email that the scheduling software sends me to is actually your own email and not no reply at schedulingcompany.com. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think we all struggle regardless of where we work. It could be in our professional lives and on our personal lives, we struggle with multiple identities, you know, uh, usernames, logins, and, and, and managing them can be a real pain, but let's for, for the time being let's uh, let's focus on the enterprise or organizational side. And you know, I, I'm sure most of our listeners understand the importance of uh, identity management. But maybe you can talk to some of the different options out there because I, ideally you want to have some type of single sign-on and you want to kind of consolidate 
as as much as possible. Actually, we, before we talk about the different options, maybe you can talk about some of the obvious benefits and then maybe some of the not so obvious benefits of having a good kind of um, ide- identity management uh, system in place, you know, including things like single sign-on and so on. Well, obvious is it makes it easy for anyone who's using it, both from the way that users come into it and believe it or not, even in 2022, a third of Americans, and it's just because the study was done in the US, it's probably everywhere else in the world the same. Yeah, have, just don't, don't be picking don't be picking on Americans, okay? <laughs> no, please go ahead. Go ahead. So, so a third of employees would have stopped doing work if they had to enter another password, which I find surprising. It's in IT, you only always think, okay, it's just such a little thing, but it's really disrupting workflows. So single sign-on, having identity management, having people not remember passwords, it's a real bonus to productivity. And even if you then extrapolate, okay, how long does it take to enter a password? 10 seconds, you have 200 employees, they do it twice a day, and you get into real fiscal numbers which affect your bottom line. And on the other hand, you have the admins, and if you ever talk to someone in IT and ask them, what's your favorite task? As you can tell, everyone will be like double data entry, entering the same stuff three times. Well, actually, I think no one says that. I'm sure no one says it, yep. That's the other end of the spectrum. Admins only have to do it once. There's less errors because you don't have to do it twice. There's less chance that a user forgets a password for a system because then suddenly they get locked out everywhere if they forget the password. And it's also less work for the admin to remember, oh my God, did the guy who just left our company have access to the accounting software? Do I have to get in there, delete his account? Or, ah, nah, it's fine, he's just a developer. And you don't remember, okay, 10 years ago, he was an accountant, and suddenly he still has access to old data or to your internal systems. That's, of course, one of the other big benefits. You have kind of a coherent system. I've been involved with, uh, with you know, network scans of companies, um, and one one particular comes in mind is is here in the uh, the Bellevue area, um, about a 2,000 seat uh, operation, and we did a network scan and we found credentials that were uh, for employees who had left the organization, you know, five years prior, and the credentials had some activity in some cases. So either the previous employer was still, you know. Uh, using it from time to time, or the um, credentials had been compromised, right? And so that, like that, that lacks or that sloppy management um, is a real security issue. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be malicious. Just to mention, how many of us have emails or company emails on our private phones? Right. If it doesn't get deleted, you'll have hundreds of people accessing your email server, not getting emails or in the worst case, getting still company internal emails, maybe not reading them, but they're out there. And if you lose the phone, no one's going to lock it because no one remembers that you have access to that. You know, back on the, the, uh, the I mean, that's a really good point. And then back on the time-saving thing, I mean, you just did, you know, a calculation in terms of like having to enter a different password. I would argue that it's not just that it's the fact that when you have to manage multiple passwords and some of them require updates every 30 days every 60 90 days whatever and some of them can be incredibly complex you know i mean the the whole nist standard of you know 
large case, uppercase, lowercase, special character, blah, 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 can have been used in the previous three passwords. Um, when you have rules like that, then what happens is people forget passwords or they do stupid, well, I won't say stupid, they do silly stuff like writing them down or putting them in a place that where they can be compromised. But on the productivity side, if you forget your password and have to go back through the password reset, again, that's even a bigger chunk of time. Um, and then and then there's the whole, you know, but I, I think the study I saw is that uh, your IT help desk, uh, something like 40 to 40% of their uh, tickets were all about, you know, resetting passwords. And I mean, uh, it's it's not just your time you're wasting when you reset password. There, there might be systems where you can't reset yet, so you go to the yeah you go to the help desk and you disrupt their workflow. And you're probably their favorite if it's the third time this week. <laughs> exactly. Um, of, go ahead. Of course, it's also developing the next strategy, so something like that for multi-factor, like a YubiKey or any kind of token, it's kind of impossible if you don't have it anywhere centralized because at some point they run out of memory for putting certificates everywhere. Sure. What um what's the advantage of going open source versus just using, you know, an off the shelf um, tried and true trusted um, identity platform? I would say ours system is off the shelf as well so we don't have any configuration files you have to dig into but the great advantage a lot of our customers see and we work a lot with military security healthcare it makes auditing a lot easier because if you go in can see the source code can see the scripts that's a step further than just saying okay here's the certificate someone did an audit on our source code which admittedly you can get from us too, but it's just a, a higher trust. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is these sectors in particular, but I think a lot of industries have legacy applications, which you might be the only one who uses this in this way. So connecting that either requires some weird constructions or you just do a little modification to a script and it works. And that's, I think, Really, that integration part, bring it all together, which where open source shines. Is it because you're not depending on one? Is it possible then to um, use an open source platform like Univention and then, you know, bring in some type of legacy application and bring it into a modern identity solution environment or ecosystem? So let's just say you had, you know, um, Azure Active Directory, uh, something like this, and then you wanted to, you had this legacy app that that you weren't able to just do a direct plug and play with, with, you know, your your standard identity platform. Can you can you do a hybrid type scenario, or does it have to be all or nothing? No, we have quite a number of people who use it hybrid. Uh, well, it's because they went when they went. Uh, in the beginning of the COVID remote, they used uh, Office 365 or Microsoft 365 now yeah. or G Suite. And both of them are great tools if you want to collaborate and need to spin up something in like seconds without worrying about network bandwidth. But yes, integrating them and integrating other online solutions, it's kind of the bread and butter nowadays. Because I think if we 
especially look at the cloud, we kind of get through the hype cycle now where people realize it's not cheaper. So we, we see with a lot of customers, they bring loads back now and then really have these hybrid scenarios where, okay, some stuff is in the cloud because it's easy and we don't have to worry about it. Some stuff we keep locally because either we have to keep it secure or it's really legacy IT, legacy hardware, especially, and or because it's really cheaper to run it locally and not offload it to someone else. Yeah, and when I said hybrid, I, I misspoke in terms of, I, I don't want people to think that I was talking about, you know, hybrid cloud uh, on-prem. I was talking about running uh, a, a kind of a hybrid identity platform where you, so, so. Software in both worlds, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, you got it. I think it's common and it will remain common. Okay. It's just, yeah. So, so let me ask you, um, and it, you know, uh, I don't want this to be a commercial for Univention, but I, but I am curious uh, when you go out and you talk to prospective customers, actually, or uh, most of your, you know, is your business, is it inbound where people are coming and saying, Hey, we have a, uh, we have a challenge. Can you help us? Or is it outbound where you're knocking on doors saying we have a solution? Do you have this kind of challenge? We have both, um, but okay. a lot of businesses inbound where people come, okay, we have this challenge. Can you solve it? Or we, we've read about that you solved something similar. But we're not sure that you can do it. Okay, and and I mean, you mentioned one scenario where they had some kind of legacy app um, or tool. What are the what are the biggest challenges that that or the most common challenges that you're seeing where you can actually bring some value? The biggest one is people who come in with very diverse IT systems. Mm -hmm. So Linux server, MacBooks, and then you have HR or some of the other very specialized software running on Windows workstation and then half of the people use one cloud app, the other the other, and then tying that together. That's one of the strong selling points we have. Awesome. Um, when when they're working with a company like yours, do they have any concerns in terms of, you know, um, size of the company or, you know, his, history of the company, things like that? What, what kind of questions do they ask? I think when I started, we had these kind of questions. Now that we are what, 100 something people and 20 years in the making, we've thankfully gotten past these questions. Plus, uh, if you look at our big clients, which include companies like Orange over in France, it's just 30 million accounts. Um, people normally you, forget then, okay, it's, it's really a size matter. Yeah, it will, they, they, so you've got that credibility. Do you find, are your customers, um, are they willing to act as kind of uh, references for you? Or I, I don't want to say ambassadors because that's too strong, but uh, are they open to having uh, prospective customers speak with them about their experience? It's really different and different uh, target group. So we, we've been in now in healthcare in uh, in Hollywood and both of them are absolutely happy to speak about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially if we go down to LA, they, they kind of really want to shine as the ambassadors. On the other hand, uh, if we go into the security area, finance, they don't they want anybody might... talking to anybody. <laughs> yes, they don't want anyone. Anyone, please don't mention my name. Or right. okay, you can mention it after we release our press release in a year or two. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Is there any, in terms of the work that you're doing, you mentioned Hollywood, so is there any uniqueness to the work that you're doing for companies in that area? Especially if you go to Hollywood, you deal with a lot of Linux servers and you deal mm -hmm. with a lot of, let's call it personalities. Okay. So it's, uh, I think we, everyone, if I say, okay, Hollywood stars are a certain type of people. We all have our favorite Hollywood star and their ideas in front of us. And it kind of trickles through to the company owners and the, even to the IT people who are a bit more flamboyant or a bit more introverts than what you expect anywhere else. So that's that's really the the human kind. That's the most fun going down there. And which how, um, how was it for you? I mean, coming from Germany, Germany, the the business culture in Germany tends to be, in my opinion, okay, uh, you take that with a pound of salt. Uh, it tends to be a, a, a bit more formal, uh, a bit more structured. Uh, you know, there's there's like a there's a pattern, there's a rhythm, and um, you're, now you're on the west coast of the U.S. And, um, and 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 it could be likened to the Wild West. I know some places that are more wild than the than than the west coast of the U.S. But let's just say for you, coming from Germany, um, was it a bit of an adjustment? I would say ninety percent is the same. Okay. The big difference, everything's fine. <laughs> what does that sentence mean? For, for my German background, it would be like, oh, great, we don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. But really here it means, okay, it's burning and I'm gone as your customer in three seconds if you don't move now. Wow. So you got to kind of read the, 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 the subtext or... The um, subtext is different. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I worked, I've worked in places as disparate as obviously the U.S., but Japan, Taiwan, China, Singapore, and they're all completely different. You go into Hong Kong and Taiwan, you will get a very, very straight, direct answer. And if you can solve it, then boom, you're in. And then you go to other places and you will think that everything's fine and you won't, you won't know unless you do the digging, you won't know for a long time what the real issues are. And um, yeah, so it's, it, it can be challenging, but it's also fun. It's interesting, right? It's definitely an interesting learning experience, yes. Yeah, um, I noticed on your uh, so on the on the show brief here, one of the things that we were going to talk about, and I mentioned that earlier, is three important actions every IT department should take. What are those three important actions? If we stick to cybersecurity, I think for ninety percent of the company, it's been your training. It's any cybersecurity training I've seen so far, or all but one, I have to say it's not focused on the human but it's focused on okay here's the threat here's mechanical what you should do and here is that little thing how you should do it and that's great if you sit in a training where someone fills out a multiple choice quiz afterwards but it's horrible if you later deal with people who actually sit between chair and keyboard and have to work what eight hours a day for years to come and they should remember oh wait check a url here whether that's really the place where i should put in my login or that's a spam email and i think any kind of cybersecurity training which doesn't take into account human psychology it's 
a waste of time and in the worst case makes anything that's happening worse than how it would have been without the training. Well, what kind of training would you recommend though? Like, like give a, give us a, a specific example of something that you've seen that has been effective. I think very effective is if you focus on, okay, what, what are on, onto that emotional intelligence part first. So, okay, how does, how do I feel about getting such a request? I know we talk about feeling maybe far too much these days, but really it's, if I get an email and feel happy about it, I'm much more inclined to do something. Same if, okay, that's an email from my boss. If I don't move now, I feel threatened. And yeah, that sense of that sense of urgency, like, hey, I need you to do this yeah. right now. By the way, I'm going to be on a plane, so I'll be out of touch for the next four hours. But by, by the time the plane lands, this needs to get done. And you're like, ah, <laughs> exactly. Or, or same urgency you can get with, hey, I know you're just one step from a promotion and I'm landing in 20 minutes to talk to our customers. I don't have access to that. Can you resend my password? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ouch. Absolutely happy urgency, no threat behind it, but you're yeah, right. so happy that let me help you. And I think starting from that point, instead of, okay, if you get a scam email, you check whether that's really a URL or the email address of the sender. You know, it's really more, okay, if someone is trying to create emotions in you, try to take a breather and then think about, does that make sense? And I think that that's, that kind of approach it's what we have to look more into it and get away from the, all the technicalities, which maybe a scam filter can trained, be trained on, but which we are really bad at being trained on. But, um, but then, okay, so yeah, you're, you, you, you look at it and you're like, you know what? This doesn't pass the smell test. Um, this is a little bit strange. Then what? What do you advise people to do? The good old thing, which is out of band, so call, check in, and if, if it's really okay, the plane is landing in 20 minutes, you can give a, get it ready, give it a call in 20 minutes, and wait just for hitting send. Yeah. And then you have the confirmation over the phone. Hopefully, you identify the voice, and it also gives you the 20 minutes to, okay, I have time to take a breathe wait, does it really make sense if I call him now or is that really the wrong thing and stuff? Okay, I'm jumping into action now. Do you, um, have, have you, do you typically advise that companies come up with their own training or do they buy, because right now there's, you know, obviously, for, especially for cybersecurity, there's um, a variety of, uh, you know, web-based uh, software as a service or SaaS uh, training platforms and then there's all the the kind of the simulated phishing campaigns and things like that. And some of them are combined into um, you know two or three different functions and and content types combined into a single platform. What do you advise your friends, customers, prospects to do? I think for our clients in particular, my advice normally is look at two things: what are threats that everyone faces, and what's specific to your industry. And that kind of then you have to weigh, okay, threats that everyone faces. HR should reset a password or resend W2 somewhere else. 
this kind of base level, okay, buy in. And I normally recommend in that sense, send the IT guys first into taking them. Mm. Because if they feel, okay, they didn't teach me anything, then you know it's okay. It's so mechanic that they felt bored and it doesn't actually will teach anyone anything because it will just flow back. That's kind of the the test I recommend on doing on these trainings. And then you have to see, okay, is there anything which normally someone else doesn't face, which we have to take into account? Um, I mean, HIPAA trainings are getting more common nowadays, mm -hmm. but um, in the military, it's of course, there's few organizations who face military threats or who, who go toe-to-toe -to -toe with cybersecurity on, on a different, on a nation level. So they obviously need to develop their own or bring in contractors who can develop something specifically for these scenarios. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the three things that, that companies should do, organizations should do is deploy or implement effective security training programs. And ineffective in your mind is things that people will, what one, get their attention, create awareness, and and help them to actually understand what's a threat and what to do or identify a threat and then and then understand what to do when they see something that just doesn't look right. okay? what yeah. what's what are the other two things that um, that organizations should be doing? I think we talked a lot about single sign on about portal, about integration, both in a sense of, okay, it it gives, it removes hurdles, it removes problems, but also it gives you a sense of, okay, this is a legitimate business application. Because again, if, you, if I sent you to, to a place to enter your password because um, that website is somewhere else, instead of telling you, okay, everything what we have is on our portal, that's most like, more likely that, okay, if you get the next scam email, I'll enter my password again somewhere else. Of course, if you don't have to enter a password ever again after logging in, Bonus points, because if you get a password prompt, you'll know, okay, something is really wrong here. Plus, it gives you the peace of mind, okay, I don't have to remember my password a second time today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I look forward to the day where we did, don't even need passwords, you know, just passwordless. I mean, it can't be that far out, can it? I mean, how far out do you think we are? Um. I mean, there's been some good initiatives in the end of last year. So it might be that we see the first combination of um, the phone as a second factor or as the only factor and website logins today and um, this year, not necessarily today. But it's also a question of, okay, how long will it take us to deploy it? Mm -hmm. And if we look at, okay, Half of the American companies have deployed some form of identity management as of now. That might be that we're still far out till we have it anywhere except for the 10 most popular websites. Okay. Well, fingers crossed. Um, and so what's number three? Um, Make IT fun. Okay. Uh, it's if you ask someone who's outside of IT, what's, whether IT is part of the company or just some kind of service coming in magically, 
most of them will say, okay, it's just some kind of service coming in. Down to the point where if you look at <laughs> if you look at Southwest Airlines, their CTO doesn't even sit at the first level of management. And that obviously shows, okay, then people don't take IT seriously. IT doesn't see themselves as, okay, we contribute to the mission and kind of both the company and the IT department walk along somewhat parallelly by the threat of, okay, you get laid off, but they don't work towards the mission. Plus it's really easy for employees to dismiss anything IT says if, well, they're just a service like our payroll department, which is naturally also the wrong thing for them. <coughs> and, and really making sure that IT contributes to the business success and people see that and IT contributes also to the work culture. And even if it's like engaging geekiness and wearing that funny sweater, everyone, it's kind of make sure you are seen and you see what's going on. In yeah. That way. No, I mean, it's funny because I don't care what kind of business you're in. I mean, you could be a plumber or a roofer or whatever. Every company out there, uh, you know, uh, depends to some degree on IT. If you, you know, and in, in those examples, you've got to order your supplies. You've got to, you know, send your customer invoices. You've got to create estimates and, you know, purchase orders and all these things. And that's all IT based, right? And um, so if anybody's IT resistant, I think they're um, they're in the wrong on the wrong planet these days. Uh, but they but and yeah, if you can make it fun and enjoyable, accessible, it's kind of like the whole Adam or the uh, adage that, you know, people will do the exercises that they enjoy doing. People will eat the food that they enjoy, you know, so make make IT enjoyable. And, and I think that maybe you're talking about one, the, the, the use of productivity tools, because if you can make it fun for people to use Teams or Zoom or Slack or whatever, they'll be more likely to use it. But also the security thing, if you can make security a little bit of fun too, as opposed to you know these dry messages that are just kind of like, oh man, I'm gonna go to sleep and I probably won't retain anything here. Um, it's also funny that you brought up uh, Southwest Airlines, because I, I don't know, I'm sure that you heard in December they had those huge, huge um, number of cancellations. I think it was like 17,000 uh, flights got canceled. It's going to cost them upwards of around $700 million. And a big part of that was, well, they blamed it on severe weather and staff shortages, but those are things that the other airlines have to deal with as well, right? Um, but the number three was an outdated computer system caused the largest domestic airline in the U.S. to cancel thousands of flights from December. So, you know, and you mentioned that the CTO was not at the, is not in the C-suite? That's how their, the, their website shows it. He's just oh. reporting to the CEO and not sitting at the top table, yep. Well, then that COO um, better make room, man, because I, I think that he should be feeling some heat right now. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at the numbers right now. It says they, they could cost the company as much as $825 million. Somebody should lose their job or something like that. I know that if I lost any company that I ever worked for $825 million, they they would uh, you know kick me out of the country. That would be it. <laughs> Just never be. <laughs> You could lose a fraction yeah. of that, never see the light of day again. But um, hey, so 
let me ask you, um, I mean, so from from where you sit, uh, because obviously you're working for um, a company that where else do you have offices? You have you obviously have your headquarters in Germany. Yes, we have quite a number of offices in Germany and uh, all over Europe, and then we have a relatively strong partner network in Asia with okay. a distributor in Australia. Awesome. Um, and how many employees worldwide? We've reached 100 last year, so we are approaching the 120 now. Awesome. Um, do you find, okay, you, you know, you, you referenced earlier uh, that there's a, a bit of a business culture difference. Uh, most of it's the same, but there are some some differences between Germany and the U.S. How about in terms of openness to adopt uh, open source identity uh, platforms or tools? Uh, do you find that some regions are more open to that than, than others? <sighs> I think there, there is a certain difference in cloud adoption and privacy law. That's mm -hmm. what, what we found is much more prevalent than open source. So, um, and that, of course, if you think about GDPR, translates into the different legal frameworks in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that's much more driving the conversation than the question of open source or not. I think at at a certain point the 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 question of okay can we contribute can we get our our uh, legacy thing in that's kind of what speaks to open source but as much as I would like to say yes everyone wants to, is seeing open source for the 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 freedom it brings you it's um no it's too much more too much of a business decision than any kind of the personal one. Sure. Well, you, you know, you brought up GDPR and, and and one of the key tenants under GDPR is the right to be forgotten. Um, also, you know, uh, transparency. So I should be able to contact an organization and say, what information do you have about me? Um, and they can pull it all up. And then I can say, I want you, I, well, there's no business case or um, legal case for you to have this information. I want you to um, delete it all, right? Um, and there needs to be a mechanism to do that. Does... Does that mechanism sit with identity or where does that mechanism sit? It really depends on on the organization and what they do. If the identity is like the smallest part, then it's normally attached to whatever brings in brings in the customer. Mm -hmm. So if I'm for example running an HR platform, it will be attached to the HR tool. If I'm in contrast, running an identity broker, as we do, then, of course, it's connected to the identity and translating out from there. It's just, it, it hasn't much to do with GDPR. It's more where people would search for it. That's okay. how I would describe it. Yeah, but I, I would say it's a, it's, it's a requirement under GDPR to be able to provide those services. Yeah. But, you know, if you're in an organization, let's just say, okay, let's do a, a use case here. Um, I'm a I'm a student, which actually brings up another thing at a university. And um, they have my my academic record, but they also have my personal record and they have some of my payment information. And that that information might sit in three or four or five different apps. Okay. So when they scan, do a scan, because I say I want to know what information you have about me, and then later I say I want you to delete it all because I'm no longer a student there and I don't need that, except for my transcripts, I want you to keep that. 
how what's the what's the control point for going across to all these apps and, and saying here's the info we have yeah in that case it normally is then the identity and service management if you're on that level because that's normally the point where you where everything gets tied together mm -hmm. and where you then know okay that user got provisions there they're there and especially if you look at universities which provide additional kind of additional services from an IT standpoint, student jobs, for example, not every student has one, then you might not know, okay, if, if I go in from the academic side, is this, does that student have a student job versus the identity system will know, okay, he, he accessed his identity using the student job portal, so they have to be notified to delete his data. Awesome. Hey, and now that we're on the topic of schools, let me ask you, are there any kind of nuanced differences for doing, you know, providing uh, identity management systems for schools versus just typical, you know, enterprise, uh, you know, businesses? A lot. It comes, starts with the user. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go in here in Lake Washington, I think they get computers home and some of them in third grade. Mm -hmm. Tell tell someone okay, enter an eight digit password. Eight digit <laughs> I know. I know where you're going. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Third grader. It's like mom. <laughs> yeah, mom. Or in the best case, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six, yeah, yeah. seven, eight. Yeah. Um, likewise, if you tell them okay, press Control Alt Delete to log in. So you you have a I think. A higher technological barrier. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you also have to deal with curiosity, which you wouldn't have otherwise. And we we have a school product, and the times where a student broke something just because he did something in a way we never anticipated, that's really are the most interesting bug reports because the teacher doesn't know or can't reproduce it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it kind of it has to be a bit more robust. Yeah, and the other thing is, yeah, data privacy, data security. The students can't opt in or opt out of these services. You might have a bit of control what the parents can opt in or opt out, but it's not that they can say don't use computers at all, especially if IT is a graduation requirement. So data protection is even here in the US a lot stricter than anything else, except for medical, maybe. Interesting. I, I'm actually watching this whole um, chat GPT thing kind of play out. And, you know, I believe that it's still really, really early days. But in the context of education and, you know, where you're assigned to respond to different questions in essay format, chat GPT it can be I mean I just can't imagine the challenges that teachers have because you can tell the you can tell the tool to shorten it to write it in teenage slang I've done it you know write it in Shakespearean English you can you can have it uh, you can pick up regional kind of um, nuances to it and and then you can take it and then kind of rewrite part of it and I just kind of wonder it's like wow and and this is just the first iteration, of course. I mean, it's gonna it, it's gonna accelerate. It's gonna get stronger. At some point, I wonder if we go back to pen and paper. And okay, here's your three questions. Here's your pen. Here's your paper. Start writing. 
G given how handwriting styles have evolved, that might be a good thing, and how handwriting is connected to intelligence. But I think it's also something with making it too easy for the teacher to be someone who instills knowledge versus someone who motivates and really teaches in that kind of Aristotelian way of asking questions. Asking oh, okay. questions. Yeah. So may maybe we should recalibrate our expectations what a teacher does. And oh man, you know now now you've just kicked the hornet's nest. Because <laughs> uh, we... I should I should add we we should also calibrate how much of our budget then goes to technology versus to the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear. Uh... No, yeah. no, no, no. So that's okay. So now you redeemed yourself because, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> no, that's it, it, it's it, it really is interesting. And um, I, I uh, we're kind of getting off topic, but that's okay. Um, you know, I have three children myself, and and I, you watched the number of books just decline massively. And at first, it was no books, but we're doing handouts, and then it's no handouts; it's everything online, and then it's just. Uh, and I, sorry, man, I'm I'm old school. I do believe there's value in writing things down, figuring things out, um, and 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 books, and reading books, and reflecting on what you're reading, uh, versus a screen with a bunch of links in it that kind of you skim along the top of the the surface, and then you click on another link and click on another link, um, as opposed to like doing some deep thinking. Now, I'm maybe I'm just not equipped to deal with the um, the web, uh, but but I but I think there's some value there. And um, and regardless if there's value there or not, tools like ChatGPT and some of these other tools are going to force a change at some point. In my humble opinion, I would agree. It's, especially if we talk about certain applications, and that might be the problem with ChatGPT as well, because people expect it to be okay. Here's HAL five thousand, or here's the intelligence that runs uh, C three PO versus okay it's just something that can write an essay yeah so that might be also when we see that coming along when people realize okay it's a tool for certain application versus that artificial intelligence that's a that's a whole nother deep conversation and i actually would enjoy to have that sometime with you um but for now since we've jumped the tracks let's jump a little bit farther and it, when you have people who um, are c coming to visit you in the Pacific Northwest here, uh, and 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 they're in town for a few days, where where are the places that you like to take them or recommend that they see? If they're the first time here, the first day I'm sending them to either the Seattle waterfront, or if they really want to drive somewhere, one of the beaches on the Olympic Peninsula. That's just, nice. Just just a day. And then the second day, I'm normally sending them Mount Rainier or Stevens Pass just to get an idea how close we are to sea and mountains here. Because I think that's something which is different from anywhere in the world unless you're on that American West Coast. No, I think I think you're right. I, I live uh, very close to the crossroads of four or five and 90. So for us to get up to Snoqualmie Falls uh, is is literally uh, 30 minutes. And so that's that's a worthy stop as well. But I'm so glad that you didn't say going to the original Starbucks store 
or going to Pike Place Market and watching them throw the salmon. I mean, you know, what you're talking because to me, that's just all fluff, fluff, you know, tourist stuff. But the the thing that's, I, I think, amazing about this state and actually the states in general is we we have this incredible nature that is just right there. I mean, you've got bears in your backyard, apparently. So. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, I should be honest and say if they're here the first days on the weekend, I'm telling them, please go to the Space Needle, go to the monorail and the candy store at the end of the monorail and take my kids along. I'll have a ah, <laughs> That's that. I like that. Take the kids. Well, hey, Kevin, I've uh, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I um, I'm glad that you're you know that you've uh, moved from Germany over here and have stuck it out for 10 years. Um, so we must be doing something right over here. And it seems that your business, uh, Univention's business, continues to uh, to grow globally. So congratulations on that, and I'd like to wish you an amazing 2023. Thank you. The same to you. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.